Hey, Carl here. You know, there's something new from our sponsor, Text Control. Their new product, DS Server, provides document services out of the box for all platforms and languages. Whether you want to integrate document creation, editing, sharing, or collaboration into your web app, DS Server provides the back-end technology to integrate professional document processing. For example, using DS Server, you can integrate a Microsoft Word-compatible document editor into a pure JavaScript, Angular, or ASP.NET Core app, create PDF documents using web API calls, or request electronic signatures from end users. DS Server is hosted on-premise in your infrastructure or with your cloud provider, such as Microsoft Azure. And you can test DS Server without downloading anything. Create your first DS Server application within minutes by requesting a trial token on their dedicated website at dsserver.io. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still here. We are still here. Yes, I'm still here, but I'm happy to announce I am X10 free. Wow. You you ripped all the X10 automation out of your house. All the X10 is out of the house. I mean, the, the side effect of doing home automation for 20 years is layers and layers of craft. Yeah. And uh, as I w- I've been switching over to Lutron Casita controlled lights for those who care about those kinds of things. Right. I've been purging the last of the Lido Lear Compose PLC and literally rounded up all of the other extraneous X10 based gear. And there are boxes of it. That's funny just because I just got rid of my Heathkit cassette player. it's kind of the same thing and i'm pretty sure if i take those two boxes of x10 stuff some of which is still in the package like i bought spares of things and never used them yeah and just said on craigslist there is x10 here take it it will be gone free cycle still loves x10 yeah sure somebody does just not me (laughs) (laughs) you can go now Yes. Thanks for playing. Uh, bye bye. Uh, bye bye. I do remember going to your house and seeing a closet full of X10 controllers, and that you had two of them because they're circuit bound, and you had to bridge the circuits. That's right. Yeah. The, those are the composed controllers. Yeah. Yeah. I dismantled them all myself and moved uh, and patched all those circuits directly, and I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> cool. Well, this is going to be a fun show. Phil Hack is here. We can't wait to talk to him. But first, we have a little business. And the first up is Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? Okay. Well, this is episode 1726. Can you believe mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I think we'll figure this thing out one of these days. Yeah, so all my better know frameworks are show number dot pwop dot me, pwop dot me. <laughs> so if you go to 1726.pwop.me, you will come to uh, some Microsoft documentation uh, about .NET 5, and it's the updated .NET Core event pattern. Hmm. And so in .NET Core, there's an, a newish event pattern. It's a more relaxed pattern. It's not, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's subdued. Okay, so it's, it's still an event, but less drama. Less drama. Yeah, there exactly. Now the, with less drama. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, when you have an event handler of T event args, there's mm-hmm. no longer a constraint that T event args must be derived from system dot event args. And there's a okay. whole reason why, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that's really cool. I, I would think a little more OS agnostic too, right? Like every time I see system, I think Windows and that's automatically an issue. Yeah. Backward compatibility, flexibility, yeah. all that good stuff. And I'm not going to read you the code, but this is a good series of articles about events in general. The, they talk about events with async subscribers. Mm-hmm. And so because that's always kind of been a, a wonky thing, it's just so much easier now. And um, I, I got a little taste of that. Uh, in blazer it's just nice well it's just easy you know if you have a button click handler or or any kind of ui handler you can make it void or you can make it async task and you just change it and it just works it's like no problem 
So anyway, this is all good stuff, and I encourage you to read that at 1726.pwop.me. That's it. Good one, dude. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Well, grabbed a comment off the show 1553, which is the last time we had Phil on, not counting episode 1700, which was essentially a drunken brawl. Yeah. It was a <laughs> yeah. good one, though. <laughs> uh, but a fun you know, when you've done 17 ought ought shows, you you know, you kind of keep experimenting. That I thought was a good solution to the how do we celebrate bringing back some of our most frequent guests. And here's Phil tallying up another one. Cha-ching. <laughs> and yeah, just wait five more and you'll get a free 12 inch sub. <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting for my five timers jacket. Yeah, there it says Extra that. Extra mayo. I think I did 17 or 18 is something crazy. Uh, so 5053, June of 2018, right after Microsoft had bit, bought GitHub, because it's yep. like, hey, Microsoft's bought GitHub. Let's Who do we know? Phil. Holy cow, Phil's there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, the comment itself has nothing to do with acquiring GitHub at all. But it, the fact that we had kind of a crazy conversation around all sorts of technology. So Aaron Bauman's comment, admittedly from three years ago, and I thought it was particularly relevant considering the conversation we're going to have today was was about Clippy, because we talked about Clippy in that show for some reason, which is to say we made fun of Clippy, because what else do you do about hey, Clippy? Hey, I see you're digging a grave there. Do you, is it a business grave or a personal grave? You want me to help you with that? <laughs> and so Aaron says, Clippy was so cheerful in his miserable efforts to be helpful. With the tone you presented for his new lead role in code recommendations, I think a better name would be Snippy. Ah, oh, nice. That's right. Code snippets with attitude. First I mock you, then I give you the code sample you need. <laughs> <laughs> Clippy. Snippy. <laughs> Excellent. But considering we've all been inside for months on end, you you know, the Clippy almost makes more sense now. You got to talk to somebody. Why wouldn't it be in an animated paperclip at the corner of your screen? <laughs> You're already talking to the one whose st name starts with A. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. So, yeah. Aaron, whose name starts with A, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the social medias, the Facebooks, anyway. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweak. And uh, we'll we'll hack it to pieces. Oh no, hack he's it. not. He's never heard that one before. That's new. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me introduce that guy, Phil Hack, as a co-founder and CTO of a Serious Business Incorporated. That's the name of it. A Good Serious name. Business Incorporated, <laughs> building serious products for serious people. Very serious. More on that later. <laughs> I, no, I did not write this. Phil has over 20 years of experience in the software industry prior to a serious business incorporated. He was director of engineering at GitHub and helped make GitHub friendly to developers on the Microsoft platform. Before that, he did a little thing called ASP.NET MVC, worked on NuGet, all of those things. He's a, a, an official rock star in our eyes. and One of the ninja army. One of the Ninja Army's been on our show how many times, Richard? Uh, 17, 18. 17, yeah. Well, Counting panels, you know. Well, welcome back, Phil. Well, it's great to be back. I I can't believe it's been that many times already. <laughs> well, you know, it's what happens when you make a show for this many years, too. Your first show was 2007, man. So, you know, yeah. 14 years ago. Wow. Do you remember when 2007 <laughs> seemed like a futuristic date way off in yes. the future? <laughs> 2007. Yeah. Oh, wow. my goodness. Yeah. Back when you thought subtext was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> well. It was, it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. What are you working on now? I mean, I get your business is serious, but more on that later. <laughs> uh, so, um so after I left GitHub, you know, I did consulting a little while and mm -hmm. uh, um, kept losing clients because uh, like they get acquired or something like that. So, hey, that's great, but not good for me because yeah, then I lose the client. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I, uh, but a friend of mine who I'd worked with at GitHub, um, he decided to leave his company. And we've been wanting to, you know, build something together for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't really have an exact idea of what, but when uh, he left, we decided to form a serious business and we started working on a product that we thought um, would be fun to work, kind of focused more on fun. Right. And yeah. uh, hope that we could turn it into a viable business. You know, so it doesn't need to be not so serious. Giant. Then. Yeah, <laughs> as it right. turns out, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. not 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 too serious, you know. Like, hey, if it turns into a serious business, we'll be happy about that. But yeah, so what we're building is something uh, that we call Abbott, and it's uh, if you're familiar with Hubot, which is a bot uh, framework that GitHub uh, wrote. Mm-hmm. Abbott is pretty similar, but uh, the primary difference is that we host it and we do all the crap work for you. So um, you can go to Slack, you can go to Discord, install it, and then you have a, a bot that's really useful for doing chat ops and that sort of thing. And we make it really easy to write wait, wait, skills. Wait. Did you just say chat ops? Yeah. Is that like... Should, uh, we probably need to define that, huh? Dev ops, chat ops. Yeah. What's chat ops? So chat ops is basically where you uh, do a lot of your operations in chat. Uh, so, for example, in a Slack room, you might have a, a team ops room. And uh, GitHub just recently on their blog, they wrote a blog post about how they've been um, they've been rethinking their deployment and they've been improving it. Mm-hmm. But deployment is just, at GitHub is still driven through chat. So, for example, if you go into the you know their ops room and you're like, well, you know, I've been testing this branch out. We're ready to deploy it. And then you would run a command like you know deploy this branch to uh, canary to staging to production. Um, canary being like uh, you could deploy j- to just one percent of your servers or ten percent of your servers. Right. So they do a model where they deploy from a branch, and then when it's deployed and it seems everything's fine in production, then they merge it back into main. So literally using production as a test platform. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they can, de- like I said, they can deploy to a sub, uh, you know, a portion of production they can deploy to staging right. servers to test right. it out but yeah so they they don't merge to main until it's been deployed to production first and and passed essentially like not yeah. caught fire it lasted a day some threshold i presume hmm. yeah and and there's you know so that's only one possible deployment workflow so for example like with Abbott, we uh we deploy from main. So we test our PRs locally and then we just merge to main. And then when the merge from main kicks off a GitHub action, uh, which is like our CI, and then that just deploys it uh, to production. But we have, we're only two people. So we have much simpler needs than GitHub. Uh, But the important part is the fact that when you're doing it in a chat room, as opposed to like some terminal on your own machine, uh, the benefit of that is that everyone else who's in that chat room or looking looking uh, for the command to do it can see that you're doing it. So it's like a shared command line. Mm, right. Uh, so imagine that, you know, it's not just deployment, right? It could be like, hey, I need to find out what servers are available for this. Or um, sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, you know, tell me a joke, you know, or some like fun cultural aspects of. Uh, uh, for example, with uh, one of my favorite uh, things that uh, a friend of mine at GitHub wrote for Hubot that I've uh, actually recreated in Abbott is a time zone skill. So, for example, hey, I want to know what time 2 p.m. my time is for both me, Richard, and uh, and, and that other guy. And... <laughs> 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 and Carl. Um, so I could I could write, uh, you know, hey, Abbott, uh, TZ is what I called it. The TZ, you know, me, Richard, and Carl, 2 p.m. or something like that, right? And then it will list a table of uh, what 2 p.m. for me in, the, you know, uh, America's Los Angeles time zone. Uh, Richard, you're in the same time zone. So it'd be the same. And then Carl, it'd probably be 5 p.m., right? Right. So, um, yeah. Things like that are really useful to have in chat because, you know, A, like you can start to write all kinds of, we're calling them skills. I think that's a pretty common term, but you can write all kinds of skills for your bot. And so it can do all these useful things. Um, But the the chat ops part is that everybody else can see. So, you you um, know what you're really doing? You're moving people off of tools like Zoom 
you know, where they collaborate and then there isn't really a trail left of unless you record it and now you've got a video. You know, the, the good thing about Slack and all these other things is that there's a, a text history that's created. And so not only can you see the discussion, but you can see the commands that were issued. And um, so you're really avoiding that. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Yeah, because when I was at GitHub, you know, we had uh, like my team had pretty much someone in nearly every time zone, uh, people around the world, you know, New Zealand, Japan, Australia, right. um, Ohio. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the really exotic places. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, uh, yeah, yeah, so like we're not going to, we, we really needed to embrace asynchronous workflows. Yeah. Uh, you know, synchronous workflows are great for certain activities like brainstorming, but it can be really difficult when you have a distributed team to sure. do that. And so, if you're doing uh, chat ops in, in a chat room and then later on, so, you know, someone new to the team, you know, you're trying to onboard them. They're like, well, how do I find out what time zone everyone is in? Or how do I find out how to deploy this? Uh, you can search through the chat history and you can see examples of how to do it. Mm. And uh you know, and the chat platform itself can, you know, teach you as well by, you know, running help commands and things like that. But yeah, the, the, the record of it is great. And also, you know, the record's there for like, hey, you know, uh, does something go wrong on the last deploy? You know, hopefully you have good telemetry on that, but you can also look in the chat room and see, well, uh, the last, here's the last deploy and here's what was reported back from chat on that. Right. And, and I want to be clear here. Because uh, I think Carl was sort of implying that you would use this as an alternative to Slack, but Abbott is a bot that lives in Slack or whatever chat platform. I was saying you an al- alternative to Zoom, alternative to video conferencing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that that's a good point. It, it it's uh, it lives in Slack or in uh, we just added support for Discord as well. So right. Um, and so you you install it. It's an app uh, in, in Slack parlance or a extension. And so then it um, acts as a, it adds a, a new username to add it. And so then you can talk to add it and, and give it commands to, to do. Right. So, so we, said, we some, you know, it's sort of taking that chat mechanism up a few levels that it's, we're not just talking about doing the work. We're also doing the work. Yeah, that's right. That's fun. And, uh, it, you know, we have a few simple built-in things, but the real power of this is that um, you can write your own skills using uh, C-sharp, JavaScript or Python. Those are our currently supported languages. Uh, and mainly we chose those languages because those are supported by Azure Functions, which we're using under the hood. Uh, but um, we're kind of investigating uh, other ways of running uh, people's code because that's the tricky part, right? Like if you can write skills for the bot, we're running your code, we need to do that in a safe way. And so we have to isolate that and um, use what's available. Uh, but that's been a lot of fun to build. And so you write these skills. And one of the nice things we do for you, like if you ever wrote a Hubot script, you know, you basically have to write a regex to parse whatever incoming messages and then respond to it. And, you know, as we all know, when you try to solve a problem with regex, you now have two problems. And so um, while regular expressions are useful, even with uh, Abbott, uh, we're trying really hard to um, make it so that you never have to write a regular expression. So mm. we <laughs> uh, you know, do co- common tokenizing patterns for like if you type in text and you quote it, you know, most chat commands tend to be just like a, a sequence of words, right? So you might say, you know, uh, deploy, you know, XYZ to, you know, Z, right? Uh, but one of those parameters, so then you're determining what's what by the position, but let's say one of those parameters has spaces in it. Well, you know, you can quote it. So we handle all that for you. If you quote it, we know that that's one term. We give you the set of terms. We give you um, methods to determine, oh, is this term uh, a phone number? Is it a, well, we don't do phone number yet, but like those are the kinds of things we can do. We can, we can, you could say, hey, is this a um, time? For example, so for example, you know, for the time zone skill, like if you want to know what time is two thirty four p.m., like one of those parameters is a time parameter. So we can start to take your chat messages that you send to Abbott and start to give each of those tokens you you write uh, a potential type, and that way 
you're not writing these regular expressions to parse out dates and times and all that. Yeah. We'll do that hard work for you. You just like write the functionality that you want your skill to have. Nice. Less plumbing, better. Yeah, I'm always concerned about the the sort of glossary effect of how many variations of a given statement do you need to encode for people to generally get it right? Yeah, that's a really good point. So one of the things we are explicitly not doing is natural language processing, at least not yet. Right. Because uh, what we found and what a lot of research shows is that right now at the state of natural language processing, people actually get frozen and sort of tense because they're like, wait, wait, exactly how do I phrase this sentence? Do I say tell me or say to me or you know what I mean? So um, w- the way we designed it is it's more like a command, a shared command line in chat. So like you would, if you write a skill, uh, you would give it a name and here's an example, Wolfram, right? So I wrote a skill named Wolfram. So uh, it basically calls the Wolfram Alpha's API, right. sends the text to it, and then you know gives you the response. Right. And so the the name that you give the skill is sort of the is the command that you use to call it. So uh, because it's named Wolfram, you would say Abbott Wolfram, and then your the rest of your parameters. And so that first string it has to be unique for every skill. So we're not doing uh, the Hubot model, for example. Every skill pretty much gets access to every message. And then you, you know, you iterate through every skill and then it runs this regex and then it responds or doesn't. In ours, every, we have more of a lookup table approach. So every skill has a unique string to trigger that skill. And then, um, you know, we call it that way. It makes it a little bit less flexible, but um, the the benefit is nice and fast. And also uh, with Slack, in order to be an app that's accepted, um, you can't, I don't, I, I don't think, I, from my understanding, they don't support um, apps that listen or bots that listen to every message. You have to specifically address the bot. It is possible to create an app that listens to every message, but we didn't want to be doing that because we think that um, people may be wary about, you know, installing this bot that listens to everything they type in, ch- in chat. So the only messages we receive uh, through the Slack permissions is messages that you address to Abbott. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and again, it is essentially commands too, right? You're not trying to chat with this bot. It's not a chat bot. It's a work bot. It's a very yeah, serious bot. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's a serious bot. It's like, it's like a command it's, bot, right? It's yeah. very yeah. serious. Yeah. I mean, down the road. I, know. I think that's got to be the name of the show, a very serious bot with Phil Act. <laughs> right. I mean, down the road, I would love to add that ability to it when the natural language processing is good enough. But, you know, like there's... Yeah, yeah. I, I, the easy one is like, Abbott, tell me a joke. It's like, did you see the last build? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's funny because uh, funny you mentioned that. But when you install Abbott, we have um, a, a, a skill that we install for you called joke. And so, unfortunately, you don't call it like, tell me a joke, but I've thought about that. I've wanted to do that. But you just say Abbott joke, you know, a little more uh, abrupt. (laughs) (laughs) A more relaxed, verbose. Yeah, relaxed. And and the other things we we do for you, things like, you know, we're going to add a set of services. So, I just added um, geolocation. So, you can say, uh, where am I? Tell me, (laughs) yeah, where am I? or, Or tell me where this is, right? You know, like. Um, the reason we're adding that, one of the reasons we're adding that is because uh, in Discord, we don't get your time zone. So Slack um, actually provides us users time zone, mm, right. but Discord doesn't. So we're going to, f- uh, for the time zone skill, I'm going to have to ask people, hey, I don't know your time zone. Can you tell me? And we don't necessarily want people to be like, well, I know, th- I know the INA, IANA format for time zone ID. So I'll tell you I'm in America, America slash whatever. We want them to say, well, um, my location is, you know, on the corner of Brant and, you know, Barry. Right. And then like we call the Google API and like, Oh, we know where that is. That's here. And here's the time zone ID. So we're building useful things like that in there. And we'll just use our, you know, for a lot of these, we'll use our own API key. Um, you know, and that way, like, you don't have to set any of that up. Because, like, if you've ever used the Google APIs, they're really powerful and great. But you have to go into the Google admin and set all this crap up. And, uh, you know, our hope is that, like, we make it so easy for you that um, 
you'll you'll love writing scripts for it. Um, as an example, like just the other day, like my colleague, he wrote. Uh, we were playing around with the geocoding, and he just wrote a skill to kind of call it manually to you know learn how to use the API. And we found that you know writing uh, skills in this way is uh, like is a really nice way of prototyping functionality, calling other APIs, kind of testing out some ideas. Um, so for example, for some folks, they're like, well, I really need a proper Slack extension or a proper Discord, you know, plugin. Yeah. Uh, you know, totally get that. That's going to happen sometimes. But uh, you could probably write it in a, you know, a tenth of the time in Abbott and then, you know, to test out your idea. And then if you really need it to be a first class thing, take that code and then, you know, write your real thing. It's hmm. really cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's interesting stuff. And so yep. they, this so far, it, it, this is not a business per se, right? You're, this is just on GitHub and, you know, take it out for a spin. It's much more fun. Uh, well, it's a business in the sense that we're, we're hoping to turn it into. It's a, you can go online to ab.bot, add right. it. And uh, if we're there, you can install it today and try it out. We're kind of looking for some folks to beta test it. And if you're a .NET developer, since this is .NET Rocks, um, if you write your skills in C Sharp, we also, you get full IntelliSense uh, in, the, in our online editor. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we're using, uh, we're using uh, Mirror Sharp, uh, from, uh, which is uh, based on CodeMirror. Uh, it's it's a, an amazing library. And the reason we're using Mirror Sharp, Mirror Sharp, you know, under the hood on the server side, it uses socket, you know, calling into Roslyn, right? Mm -hmm. um, but on the client side, it uses CodeMirror. And so CodeMirror is also the same editor we use for uh, JavaScript and Python. And right now, like the experience of writing our, your skills in the browser with C Sharp is really wonderful. And we really need to step it up for uh, Python and JavaScript. Hmm. But, you know, the, the fact that it's so easy with uh, Roslyn and with the uh, uh, mirror sharp it it's a really nice experience what are some of the really third-party skill packages that people are writing with abbott oh yeah so that's the other thing you know i every time i write code i like to write a package manager right so we we do support <laughs> converting like, your skills like into uh scott hanselman never forgetting anything because he writes a blog post for anything he needs to remember yeah so uh <laughs> This is considerably simpler than nu NuGet, <laughs> but like we wrote an ability to turn a skill into a package. So if you have a really useful skill and you want others to be able to install it and use it, mm. you can just uh, click a thing and turns it into, you know, what we call a package. So right now there's only, uh, there's only two of us working on this. So this is like really early beta. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so all of these packages that are listed in Abbott slash packages are mostly written by us. Um, there's one of them that was written by some beta testers uh, called Read the Room. Mm. And uh, that one's just, it's a funny one. But yeah, so our hope is that, you know, if we can get users to use it and they like it, we can start to build out a set of really useful packages. And, and, and sort of that's kind of our focus right now is the packages are the, th the you know, the skills are the things that are going to draw people to the platform. Yeah. Um, like the, the, the time, the TV skill alone to me is really, really useful when you're working with a distributed team. And so we're, you know, we're still in the early stages, but we hope to build out some really useful skills. Uh, weather is a really interesting one because, you know, you right. just, you can, um, you know, get, get the weather in your time zone, zip code. But, oh, but we have this ability to um, set triggers on skills that are not just in chat, but for example, you could schedule a skill to run every, you know, every day at a certain time, or you can, every skill um, can have a URL that could, that you can invoke to call that skill. Mm -hmm. And when you, and so things like, uh, here's something I set up recently. Uh, I wanted to know when I was deploying to Azure, I wanted to know when the, the deployment swap happened. So, mm. you know, we set up the blue-green deployments with the deployment swaps. So, right. you know, deploy to stage. Once that's verified, it swaps it over to production and uh, so on. And so, um, Azure has this cool feature called Event Grid. So, you can pretty much get an event from uh, anything that's happening in Azure. 
And uh, one of the things you can do is say, oh, EventGrid, I want you to post to this URL. And so you give it the URL of your skill, uh, which is a secret URL. You don't want that to get out, right? Mm. Um, but you do that. And then now uh, within your skill, you get the access to request.form, request.query, request read as this type. And so now when I do deployments, um, I get a message in our ops chat room that says, hey, you know, this is swapping the stage. This is the swap is completed. Hmm. Uh, so now I have this really cool, you know, I basically wrote a Slack bot that lets me know when certain Azure events happen without having to write a full Slack bot. <laughs> nice. And Phil, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us have very little choice because ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve. They use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers, data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data to big tech companies and advertisers. To prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, I protect all my devices with ExpressVPN. So what is ExpressVPN? Well, it's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP can't see any of your activity. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked by ISPs or other tech giants who can then sell your information for profit. That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash dot net. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash D-O-T-N-E-T to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash dot net right now to learn more. And we're back. It's dot net rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, man. And here's our friend Phil Hack talking a bit about Abbott, this new project to sort of put a smart smart bot, not just a chat bot, but a smart bot into your Slack channels and the like. Uh, but I don't see a deployment uh package <laughs> yeah we so that's what that's going to be one of the trickier things for us to build um so because there's so many different ways of doing deployment so probably what we're, we're that's on our list of things to do which is um integrate with github's deployment api right and have a deployment package um but that'll be one of the trickier things we we needed to put a lot of other things in place um it's it's surprising a lot what goes on in here. For example, we one of the things you know we find is like every skill can have a set of secrets, right? Because um, obviously you're going to have API keys that you don't want to embed in the code. But sometimes you have if you're going to write a skill that you want others to use, you don't want to just share those secrets with them. So what you end up you know that ends up being a problem. So we have a whole proxy link uh, system where you could say, well, this skill can call this URL, which uh, will proxy to your secret URL that has your API key. So nobody, you never need to give out your API key. If it's compromised, you can just ch uh, change it. But anyone who calls your skill, you know, gets the benefit of that. So that allows us to have skills that expose um, like uh, APIs using your own key uh, to others. And so that's probably something we'll, now that we have that, we can use that for the deployment API because we may want to use our own uh, GitHub API key or token, for example, so that people don't have to set all that up just to use some of the API endpoints. Now with GitHub, they're probably going to have to because they're going to need to give it access to their own repos. So at that point, you know, there's some configuration they need to set up. So we'll have to 
improve the configuration system to make it better. But um, yeah, so no deployment yet, but uh, a lot of times that's exactly the type of thing that's super custom. So you're going to probably want to write that yourself. Yeah, I think I think that's a very personal thing. Like you're going to build certain commands for your particular CI/CD stream that is kind of unique. Exactly. But our hope is we can build some of the intrinsics that make it easier and easier for you. So, you know, like I mentioned, we now have geolocation. We can probably provide a GitHub uh, uh, service so that uh, it's as easy as possible for you to do that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, start to write uh, like services for other CI providers, other deployment providers, um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So where else do you want to go besides Slack and Discord? Well, the obvious one would be Teams. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get there. T- we started with Slack because it was easier for us to integrate sure. with Slack. But we are using the Microsoft bot framework under the hood. So it should be easy to integrate Teams. But uh, it's the authentication part that you know we need to make sure we understand. And by that, I mean... When you uh, log into the website, the way we can connect the website to your org in the chat thing is that you log in with your Slack account mm. or with your Discord account, and then we can connect the two up. Yeah. And so, you know, with Team, it's your live account. And so, we have to make sure I know how to connect the live account to whatever Teams that you've installed the bot in. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, I just haven't gotten around to it. There's only two of us. Right. <laughs> but Teams is one. And then... um there's, uh, you know, maybe even uh, IRC because then we can have support in Twitch. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of places that we could go. Yeah. Do you actually create a separate entity for Abbott or is it just a Teams add-in? Yeah. You know, that's, that's an interesting problem because you, you're having something communicate on on Teams that... Uh, well, Microsoft that must it, have some sort of bot integration on Teams because they're, you know, they have all the Azure bot yeah. stuff. Yeah, in fact, the only way to write a bot for Teams, as I understand it, is as through the Azure bot framework or the Microsoft bot framework. Yeah, excuse right. me. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, connected to the Azure bot service. There's right. there's a lot I'd learn. Like, so one thing you you probably notice is that I say Azure a lot because everything we've done is .NET, Azure, and um, you know C sharp, except for of course the the Python and JavaScript runners, which also run in Azure, but those are obviously written in Python and JavaScript. Yeah, other languages, <laughs> right? Well, and to, and you you admitted yourself that they could be stronger implementations. You are a little C sharp centric. Yeah the 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 implementations of the runners are fine. It's the mm-hmm. uh, editing experience could be better, and that's just mainly because they you know they don't have quite the rich uh, type system like you know C sharp does, and and a server like Roslyn. But even so, like, there's a lot of the things we can do for Python and for JavaScript. And also, like, uh, you know, ideally, we support TypeScript. Uh, and then with TypeScript, we can give you the nice type information again by implementing a language service protocol mm-hmm. or LSP. So a lot of work to do, but um, it's been a lot of fun uh, working with uh, Azure and, uh, you know, C Sharp and all this as a consumer as opposed to... Right. Uh, you know, actually building the tech, I'm on the other side and I'm using them and being just as frustrated as all <laughs> uh, my customers were when I was in, <laughs> at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I, um, this is a bit of time shifting here. We're recording this at the end of January, although it's going to publish a couple of weeks later, but your your old friend Nougat's been had, had a bad few days. Oh, really? Yeah, there was a cer- certificate problems, CA certs for the Debian packages got mangled and you you're surprised at how many things depend on that that just would no longer build like it's we're having these reminders of uh that of all of the dependencies that we have throughout these different systems hmm. yeah not that it's your fault anymore phil but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think my hands are washed clean of that yeah, one at pretty least, clear but. pretty clear of that one and and the github stuff too but it's been a couple of years since you're directly involved all of that. that I, I mean, I, I understand how you've approached Abbott differently from Hubot, mm-hmm. but uh, it's still a challenge. I mean, Hubot is kind of huge. Yeah. Well, the thing, and I think one of the biggest challenges we're going to face is like getting people to get why this is going to be useful to them and mm-hmm. to install it and to 
down the road pay us money for it mm-hmm. <laughs> right because you know we we hope to have a subscription system for it and uh you know like i had right after i left github i built something else that um was kind of based on another thing we used to use at github and uh you know admittedly i, I sort of uh stopped working on it after a little while but it didn't really get a lot of traction and it could be that i just didn't implement it well enough didn't add enough features yet and it, mm-hmm. it was just a matter of time um, but one of the things I, I think I'm learning on the outside is that uh, not a lot of companies work this way GitHub works. And uh, some of the great things that I thought were fantastic about GitHub's work culture um, are not yet being adopted. But I also am wondering, you know, sort of my thesis is, well, now that, you know, the whole world is in a pandemic and moving to remote work, will some of those practices start to take on? Um, so what, for one example, writing things down, you know, sort of uh, long form writing, you know, I think a lot of chat, chatting and writing in the companies is very transactional done in emails, mm-hmm. but then there's no sort of record of what you all decided. So then, you know, how many times have you been to a meeting and like, wait, I thought we said we were going to, you know, do this. And you're like, no, actually we decided we we're going to do that. And then they're like, well, where's this all recorded? And mm-hmm. everyone shrugs and says, I don't know. Right. So GitHub has a strong culture of sort of writing and, you know, kind of documenting uh, decisions, things like that. Uh, Chat ops, I think, is another element of their culture that's really strong. Uh, The question is, will other companies adopt that and enjoy that? Mm, Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I hope so. (laughs) You know, back in the strange loop days, which are disturbingly a large number of years ago already, we were using IRC. And I guess Mm -hmm. we were doing chat ops. In the sense that we were diagnosing problems in production through IRC and keeping the logs. Mm -hmm. And it started out as a thing. It's just providing visibility to more team members when we were diagnosing problems. It was super useful for management just to see what's easy, what's hard. Yeah. But I remember doing the analysis afterwards. We were like, we spent two hours finding the problem. Mm -hmm. Five minutes fixing it. Right, right. You know, but it was the diagnostics that was everything. And, and it became incredibly powerful ammunition for we need to do more diagnostic features, right? Here is the ROI of that. Look how long it took for us to break this outage. Yeah. Yeah, as an example. So at, when I was at GitHub, in the early days of GitHub, we had a graph uh, skill for Hubot. So you'd say graph me and give it a name or graph me and then use this complex uh, query and it would uh you know hit our graphing uh you know our uh inf- what do you call it our observation uh, or logging infrastructure uh, and it would graph whatever data you requested for it so we could see like oh shoot you know we're noticing that things are slow graph the number of exceptions per second graph um you know the number of uh, the data uh, the traffic right so like you know when um GitHub was getting hit by DDoS, you could just go and graph like, you know, uh, bandwidth and whatever, and it would show you the graphs. And that was a really nice way of quickly, you know, getting insight into what's going on, what's going Mm -hmm. wrong, but also in the context of a chat room where everyone else, you know, you don't have to have people looking over your shoulder. Everyone else at their own computer can see the same graph that you're calling and discuss, oh, look at this dip here. Uh, perhaps, you know, this uh, load balancers offline, you know, yeah. or th- things like that. Yeah, that was, it was a big one for us to be able to have senior devs be able to, while we were still diagnosing, the dev could drop in and read through how we were diagnosing things. And, you know, devs see code behavior differently from operations folks. And so often they they would suddenly come up with, a, I think it's this, and it's totally out of left field. And you're like, oh, interesting. How would we test that, right? And sort of get there. And, and break this problems down. So uh, having the trail of how you you process the diagnose, it just became insanely valuable. Like it's almost secondary to the tool, hmm. but just yeah. having a, a real time record of what it took to deal with a deployment problem, with an operations problem, like whatever that thing may be. Yeah, and Again. also you get to take advantage of wisdom of the crowds, right? We know that yeah. like groups make better decisions than individuals, right? Every time, um, yeah. Yeah, every time. And so... Yeah, uh, taking that problem solving, uh, taking that discussion into the group. And then, you know, with the chat ops part of it for us is that, you know, ideally, you know, you can write these skills that will 
make it super easy to pull whatever information you need into the chat room without having to go somewhere else, cut and paste, and then, you know, pasting in there. You could just tell Abbott, hey, get me this, get me that. And then you have all the context there. Everyone can see the context, and then you can make the decision together. Uh, And then, you know, there's the other, the fun part of Abbott, which is like, you could uh, write skills that do fun things. Like, uh, one of the patterns that we embedded into Abbott is, um, we, what, when I looked through Hubot scripts, I found that a lot of people, uh, we used to have like a, one of the first skills was image, right? Mm-hmm. So you would just say, image me, you know, a, a cat, and it would go out, hit the API, find a cat. Or uh, actually, a better one would be like, uh, my friend wrote hack, a hack uh, skill. So you'd type hack, and it would post a random animated GIF of me <laughs> into the chat. <laughs> And so a lot of people would write these skills that were just a list of images or a list of sayings. So I wrote one called Deep Thoughts, you know, based on Deep Thoughts by Jack Candy. So you did Deep Thought and it would just print out a random Deep Thought. Nice. And so a lot of people like these random lists of images or sayings and then give it a name and then boom, you're done. So we, with Abbott, we thought, oh, that'll be fun to do as a, a first, uh, first class function. So we have what we call a list skill. So you just create it, add a bunch of things to it. And then anytime you call it, it will give you a random item from the list. Mm-hmm. So we have things like eight ball, you know, uh, we've recreated hack. Uh, joke is uh, one that comes with Abbott, uh, where it right. tells a robot joke. <laughs> and so the, the, the fun part of you know, that is that, you know, like even though we're a serious business, like work doesn't have to be all serious all the time. So, um, and what we found is that I think probably if I had to guess like 80 to 90% of Hubot scripts were um, just things that were fun and, uh, you know, gave people a laugh or um, sort of uh, bonded the company together in some way. Uh, and some of them, you know, like, for example, I wrote an org chart one. So you could find out like, uh, who does, uh, who do I report to, who reports to me or who, do, who reports to, you know, uh, Carl. Mm-hmm. Who does uh, Richard report to? And it, you know, it's basically a way of exploring the org chart. Right. So, you know, that's useful for a bigger org. Uh, right now, you know, at a serious business, we're only two people. So, mm-hmm. um, we don't pretty have quick. that one. Yeah, pretty short. Yeah. You yeah. both report pretty, to your really wives. Good. I get that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very cool. But, uh, yeah, I, I also think that there's – now I'm thinking about operations problems in general, like – we always end up building a funky UI when we're trying to diagnose problems, like go run a transaction. Like you could do that with Abbott mm-hmm. to say, do a test transaction, right? And, it, and then it comes back and tells you it succeeded, it failed, like some set of data around it, it just calls back into the service. Like it's an interesting way to put the UI of, of operations diagnostics in. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I can't stress it enough that the, when you have a UI and you're doing a bunch of things in a UI, only you see that mm. all the things you clicked and all the things you did, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, it's, you're going to need a UI, right? But, you know, you can even just, uh, we have a simple REM skill, uh, short for remember. So, for example, nice. every time I, I always forget the URL for uh, certain things in the Azure portal. So, I might say REM Azure portal is... URL. Hmm. So then when I need to go back to the portal, I might just go into Abbott and say, hey, Abbott Rem Azure Portal. Hmm. And then it tells me the URL, click on that. And then I do my work. Uh, So they won't see, nobody else sees what I did in the browser. But, you know, if I at least get to it through chat, everyone knows where to go to do that sort of thing. It's very cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I got something. Great great idea. And, And just an interesting way to explore uh, working with your software, I mean, m- all that lo- lo- higher level of visibility for folks. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Without the plumbing. Um, I mean, we use it all the time. Obviously we're building it. So, you know, we're dog feeding it, mm. but uh, yeah, it, it's been great. And, you know, like I said earlier, like relevant to the .NET Rocks audiences, uh, you know, I, this was my chance to really dive into ASP.NET Core, mm. uh, EF Core, uh, Azure, and uh, a bunch of different APIs and libraries and such. Because you were pretty much gone. You'd moved on from Microsoft by the time .NET Core showed up. Yeah, so that was the thing. Is Well, the irony is when I went to GitHub, I became a client developer. I was working right. with WPF, which I hadn't used before. And, and then, uh, you know, 
we moved to Electron for our client app, mm. but I was on mm-hmm. the client app. So, you know, I'd written still, still was writing C sharp, but it was all, um, WPF and, uh, visual studio extensions and that. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I left GitHub, yeah, the whole revolution had happened. Yeah. And I had really like, I was all in the client world. So Azure, this cloud, that was sort of, okay, I know what it all is. I just don't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> but now that, you know, I'm actually building, trying to build a business, it's like, okay, I better learn this stuff. So, you know, I've been d- diving into things like Pulumi. Are you, you, you oh, all yeah. are familiar with Pulumi? We've right? done a couple of shows with uh, Luke and uh, Joe Duffy. Like, they're doing yeah, cool so stuff there. That's as close like as you can is, get to, Pulumi like, just really cool. Star Trek bridge, you know? Just make, yeah, so make this happen. Yeah, started playing around with that. <laughs> Yeah, I started playing around with that and uh, just uh, all kinds of things and all these, uh, you know, open source pet. Like, it's gr- it was really great to work on NuGet, but I'm so glad that I get to use NuGet now because like, <laughs> uh, there's pretty much just yesterday, I was like, or a couple of days ago, I was like, I really need a package to output this table in a markdown for- uh, aligned format. Mm. Oh, this is going to be a pain to write because like, you know, you, you want to make sure every column lines up and the width is wide enough for the largest item in that column. Right. And, but I just want to be able to pass a collection. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Why would I write all that code? Someone's had to have done this already. Yeah. And I found uh, this package called Markdown Log. And so, I, I like, oh, I just installed this. Boom. Works like a charm. And I'm so happy. I'm like, wow, that just saved me a day or two. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's got to, You got to have a good reflex for if it's that good of an idea. Somebody thought of it. Go look for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Phil, this is really cool stuff, and I've I've already shared it with uh, you know the guys that I work with, and they're all drooling over it. So I'm sure we're going to have some experience with this very soon. So thank you, man. This is great. Yeah, and if you try it out, you know, let me, you know, hit me up. Uh, let me know what you think, uh, what could be better. And also, there's a built-in feedback skill. So you can just, if you install it, you can say, add Abbott feedback, and then just type your feedback, and that comes right to us. Wow, that's cool. All right, Phil, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a